one. Welcome back into another edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. We hope you are listening on the Himalaya podcast app, the best possible place to listen to Locked On Knicks. And there are a whole lot of options out there. But again, we hope you choose Himalaya, our personal favorite. Uh, with that, we are going to get into it. Part two with Cole Zwicker of the Stepian coming up right now. And we're talking about a lot of guys with Cole today. We started off with R.J. Barrett yesterday, but we're going to get into some of the probably less likely alternatives for the Knicks, but still worth discussing nonetheless. Talk about John Morant just briefly, even though it seems like he's destined to be a Grizzly. Talk a lot about uh, Jarrett Culver, Darius Garland, Brandon Clark, and some others, uh, just Cole's general opinions on those guys. And whether he thinks it might be advantageous for the the Knicks to try to trade back in this draft and acquire some extra assets. And then we end off talking with some players that Cole likes around the 55th pick for the Knicks, that late second rounder. Talk a little bit about Taco Fall and Fletcher McGee, who already worked out with the Knicks. And then talk about some other guys beyond that that Cole is a big fan of. So all that's coming up and more when we get into it with Cole Zwicker on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, counting at one. Pistol what he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives down. John Morant, a guy who the consensus is that the Grizzlies are going to take him at number two. I, I, I mean, unless the Grizzlies are throwing an all-time smokescreen and more more power to them if they are. Um, I, I don't think there's really a scenario necessarily where the Knicks will end up with him. But I'm, I'm just kind of curious, Cole. Is he? Um, because I, I know you have um, basically Morant, Barrett, and then a couple of other guys all in the same tier. Is Morant a clear-cut number two for you, or, or do you think the Grizzlies are maybe – jumping a little bit too quickly into that particular pool and not necessarily doing their due diligence. He's not the clear-cut number two for me. I definitely can understand him at number two. I'd be fine if he was the selection, but to me, he's not like a no-brainer top five guy in like a class like last year's. And of course, last year's was a, a really great class, but he's not, like just relative to that. Like, I don't think he's as good as Trey Young. I, I think he's like a tier below him. So the way I like to approach this draft is Zion's in tier one, I don't, I don't have anybody in tier two, and then I'll probably end up with four or five guys in tier three. Last year I had two guys in tier two, Jaron Jackson and Trey Young, and that was being, that was relative to the class. Like I would even take eight in ahead of these guys. So you, it, it's just hard. I don't think the value is necessarily there for John Morant as a second pick. I don't think is a no brainer, but I also don't fault the Grizzlies for making that pick. I think that it's a sensible one. It's probably the most sensible one on the board. If you consider trade value, I think they should consider trading down. That's what I've said for this class. Like if you get a top three pick and you have one of these pedigree guys, I would look at moving and, and trading the pick. I think that would make a lot of sense, but I, I don't see jaws like a tier ahead. I know a lot of people in the execs think it's a three player draft again. I, I don't really see it that way. 
Well, so you know what we we were thinking about talking more about Morant, but I I really can't motivate myself to since <laughs> all this stuff has been coming out about you know how much the Grizzlies seem to be a sure thing to take him. So you know, and and honestly, I'm not super in love with him either. Um, you know, for some of the same reasons that you just mentioned. Um, uh, so you just brought up something that I was going to bring up anyway. Do you think that in this year's draft, where you have a situation like uh, the Hawks have two picks, you know, later on in the lottery. Would you be inclined to maybe look at something like that or look at an offer sort of like if, if some team falls in love with RJ Barrett and you get a chance to move back a couple spots and get like a, you know, a lightly protected first round pick sort of like what the, the Hawks did last year with trading with the Mavs to get them Doncic. Uh, would that be something that you think would be a good move? This year for the Knicks, potentially, like with with that, you know, pretty nebulous, you know, range of guys that come. Even if you consider Morant and Barrett to be in their own class, it's after that, it just seems so wide open all the way out to almost like 10, 11, 12. I absolutely would. I think this is the class to trade down in, of course, unless you get number one. But anything else, I would look to move down and not necessarily even get another pick in this class. Like if you can get eight and ten from the Hawks moving down, I would do that. But I would also look to acquire, you know, a future pick potentially, like you noted what Dallas or Atlanta did with Dallas last year. I think that makes a lot of sense in this class. That's my number one priority in the top five, unless you're at one, is to do that. I I think that is getting the maximum value because some of these guys could hit, Morant could hit. I don't really believe in RJ's absolute upside, but he could hit and be a very good player. But he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of upside as what we see some of the time in the top five. I just don't see that caliber of prospect outside of Zion. Right. And, uh, Cole, I don't know. I, I just kind of wanted to cut to the heart of it, and I wanted to kind of figure out where to, like, start this discussion on the next couple of guys. Who, who would you take if you were the Knicks at number three? And if it's um, not Barrett, or if it is Barrett, like, who would be the next guy on that list? Yeah, that's really tough. I don't feel great about it, but I would probably take Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech. Again, I would try to trade down to six or seven to do that and pick up an additional asset. I don't think there's a ton of value in taking Culver three. I have him and uh, Brandon Clark very close together, but Brandon Clark's more of like a dependent player. So you're looking for specific fits to really optimize him. Like if he goes to Minnesota and plays next to Towns, Towns has already shown the ability to have like a top seven offense just because he's ridiculous. Like that's a tailor-made fit for Clark. I think that's when you can optimize him. But if you're a team that you don't have those star-level players, you don't have those high-level players yet, that might de-emphasize him a little bit. But I like Culver in that range. That's probably a guy just based on consensus too. Like he's probably going to go in the top six. Maybe he falls to eight. But I think that he's the guy that the NBA is always going to pencil out kind of what players are going to go in each range. So you see, you know, Garland, Darius Hunter, Jarrett Culver, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Kobe White, potentially. Those guys are like the next tier of players that can go in a specific range. So if you're approaching it that way and that's how the draft is going to unfold, I would probably target Jarrett Culver if I couldn't trade down. So I want to get back to, to Clark in a second because I, I like that you're so high on him because I also am super, super high on Brandon Clark, even if his measurements uh, worried me a little bit at the combine. But to just keep on Culver, because I do think, I think like if the Knicks are realistic, and there's already been a couple reports, you know, however much validity there is to them, that the, some people within the Knicks actually do really like Culver. Uh, so I'm not totally ruling him out. I think that he and Barrett, are similar enough as prospects that once you start breaking down the minutiae and really like 
you know, get to the nitty gritty, you could figure out like one way or another, which guy you like better. But I'm kind of like similar to what you were talking about. Barrett, his athleticism Culver's might be a problem in the NBA because he doesn't seem to have that great, like, you know, vertical uh, athleticism and all that, that, you know, some of the better players in the league do. But do you think that his, you know, he seems to have definitely the footwork part of everything figured out a little more than Barrett does at this stage. Do you think that that's just a product of uh, having an extra year in college and making such big strides that he did this year? Or do you think that, like, you know, he's legitimately, like, better, you know, footwork-wise and, and with the kind of minutia of the game compared to Barrett and that that might make him a better prospect? Yeah, I just think he's a smarter basketball player. I think he has a higher basketball IQ. He's someone that doesn't come from that pedigree. Like, he's from Lubbock. He was not heavily recruited to go to Texas Tech, and he just kind of earned his way up. And I think he just has a really good feel for the game. And he plays in a way that's going to contribute to winning. He does the small things. He defends. He's a much better defensive player than RJ, in my opinion. He was in college. I'm not sure if the gap is going to be significant, but I definitely think Culver's the better defensive player. It comes down to really for Culver a lot of first step ability. Not a good first step athlete. Like he, he's crafty and he finds his way into driving lanes. He utilizes his strength well and his frame. But he's not someone who can just beat athletes consistently one-on-one from a standstill. And we saw that against even Duke this year. Like, he had to shoot over the top of these guys because he couldn't turn the corner. So if you're looking at him as a creator, like a pick-and-roll guy in a primary, I I think he's miscast for that. But if you move him off the ball in a secondary sense, kind of like he's not the same player, kind of the way that Shea Gilgis-Alexander was utilized this year on the Clippers, where he was more – people say he was a point guard. He was actually a wing this year. He played mostly from the corner – spotting up, attacking closeouts. I think Culver's athleticism is going to look a lot better, kind of similar to RJ this way, if you get him attacking closeouts in a secondary fashion against the bent defense. But he's a really, really good passer. He's the best passing wing of this group. Morant's the best passer in the class. Culver's probably the second best passer of this group, frankly. Like he's, And I, I just tend to – I have both of him and RJ in the same tier. I kind of just tend to bet on guys who are smarter when it's close, and that has worked out in the past for the most part. So I just think his IQ – is really alluring to me and it's going to come down to can he put enough you know strength on his frame I think that's not a huge issue I think he's going to be able to get stronger and with him all out of its jump shot variants this is someone who completely overhauled his mechanics between freshman and sophomore year he used to have that Lonzo ball shot line where he brought it up significantly on the left side and then kind of snapped it across his face sometimes he would finish even with his hand flexed like away from the rim so he wasn't even falling through towards the basket so he's came a long way. He's worked on it. He improved his free throw percentage this year. The shot looks better. It's still not great. He has an incredibly high arm angle when he shoots, so he can shoot over the top of guys, plays a little bit bigger than his size. But, yeah, it just comes down to me. It's a wing, in theory, that can dribble, pass, and shoot, play defense, and make good decisions. You're just betting a lot on the shot variance, and he doesn't have the kind of athleticism that screams like Paul Jordan. All right, we'll be right back with Cole Zwicker of the Sepian with more draft coverage for you guys. But first... Just wanted to remind you that today's show is being brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. All right, guys. We'll be back with Cole Zwicker in just a sec. But first, we wanted to let you know today's show is brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts. Like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-up looks so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. 
Untucket is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untucket.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. He's not Paul George, so that, that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, I, I think I think I have a pretty good idea what you're going to say based on um, that last answer. But, <laughs> dude, do you think there's um, something to the point that, I mean, if the Knicks presumably are going to get Kevin Durant and either Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, or some kind of second star that they should, I mean, lean even more in Culver's favor because, I mean, based on everything you said, based on everything I've read about both of them, um, and, and, I mean, just kind of the eye test, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear like he would be a better fit with those guys, especially if you're trying to win right off the bat, or, or are you kind of, betting on RJ's upside a little bit and, and maybe moving that direction. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think for the Knicks, again, with how involved they are as a destination team, I would take RJ in the consideration of trade value in the future. If you're going to yeah. acquire like another star, I think you should take RJ in that case because he has more name value, has more pedigree. But if you're talking about fit and like building a team around those kinds of star players, I actually really like Culver. I really like Culver on the Lakers playing off LeBron too for a similar reason. I like his ability to make decisions in a secondary setting. I think I've explained this a couple of times, but if you swap Barrett and Culver this year, I think you would really appreciate Culver's passing, his unselfishness, his ability to read the floor. He was just cast so much into this primary creator role on Texas Tech, even though he had good teammates I mean like Matt Moody for example those guys are good it's just they're not athletic enough to create their own shot and Culver was tasked basically with all that stuff I think if you put him in more of a system where he can just act like a Karis Levert for example um, and make good decisions attack the rim at times and take advantage of situations that the stars are creating for him I think he might do that better just because he defends and and he makes high-level reads yeah I mean do you think that the the defensive aspect of Culver's game is going to have, you know, and it could potentially have an impact on where he gets drafted as well because, it, you know, he was obviously he was part of one of the best defensive teams in the nation, made it all the way to the, you know, the final of the final four kind of against all odds there. Uh, you know, do, do you think that that's something that teams are going to be really be taking into account as far as him versus Barrett as well? Uh, probably not. Frankly, just looking at the draft, like teams don't really care about defense at the top. Mostly they're looking for <laughs> offense. Like unless if we get more towards the role players and like in, in air quotes, then we start caring about defense a little bit. But most of the time, I mean, I hate to rag on last year, but look at the first two picks in the draft were bigs who weren't good defenders in college. Like it was more athleticism based, right? Like that's teams are looking for guys who can score. And RJ's pedigree and his scoring ability there, that whole persona is going to win out over Culver's defense. I think, you know, some of the smarter teams, if Culver was in last year's draft and he fell to, like, the late lottery range, early 20 range, you have some of the teams that would be like, like Boston would probably value his defense in that range. But I don't think you're valuing Culver's defense over RJ at number three. I don't think that's really going to factor into the calculus that heavily. All right. Uh, I mean, shifting to another guy, uh, I don't necessarily think it's very likely he goes to the Knicks because they're probably going to cover this position in free agency. But I mean, what, what are your general thoughts on Darius Garland? Because at least in my mind, um, I like I, I kind of think like he might have the highest upside of anyone in this draft, um, clearly outside of Zion. And you could make an argument between him and Morant. But I, I don't know. I'm just I, and like obviously such a small sample size, but I'm a really, really big fan about what he could be. But what, what are sort of your thoughts on that? And him is maybe a guy who I, I mean, at this point, it, I guess it's, it's kind of consensus that he could be a top five pick, but maybe surprises people with how high he goes. I think this kind of goes to the scoring shooting adage that was just yeah. mentioned as far as what the coveted skills are at the top of the draft and 
Garland has kind of reaped the rewards of that in this class, being like a guy who can create his own shot. He can shoot off the dribble. We see Damian Lillard in the playoffs hit 30 footers and we see Garland's tape and it's like, yep, that guy's the guy that can do that in this class. And then he starts getting pushed up because of that. I like his shooting. I think he's the, probably the best pure shooter in this class. Um, at least for lead guard types. Like he's very good off the dribble. He has that range, very shifty live handle. Uh, he very unique handling style, just very jittery kind of twitchy can, can pull up at any second. Um, so I like that element of his game. I like the way he can get low with his dribble and split pick and roll. Uh, we just only got four games with him, and we got one game against high-level competition in college against USC. And from what we saw, you're going to see a lot of, you know, his he had more turnovers than assists, all of that. But if you actually watch his tape, like, it kind of reflects that. Like, he made a lot of really poor reads in pick and roll. And his best passes were to, again, the roll man with pace. Again, a lot of point guards can do that. I don't think I saw him make a single skip pass in pick and roll in the half court. And that's always been his concern. He, he grew up as kind of like this shooting guard and then made the transition once he developed his handle. So he's really like a, a, he's a combination guard who can score, but he's not a crazy athlete. A lot of people are going to con- compare him to Trey Young, and he just doesn't have anywhere near that level of playmaking. So, like, we saw Trey Young shoot 19% from three last November. Like, if Garland does that, I don't know where his value is coming from. Like, he's, he's not good at really anything else. At his size defensively, he's not going to be good. I, I just don't believe really – I don't believe in the finishing ability. He's not a dynamic downhill athlete. He's more of like a shifty guy who's going to have to rely on floaters to finish. And then if he could pass, if he could really pass, and we got a 29-game sample of him doing that in college and making more advanced reads, I would be more in on him. I'd probably be where the NBA is right now. But I think we're trying to push him up because he can create his own shot. And I'm not even sure if he can do that that efficiently. But he can shoot. That's one thing of, like, you get stars in there, and you just need a a combo guard-sized player who can run some pick and roll simplistically and then hit shots. Like, he can do that. You know, this is sort of – this is – not necessarily just a Garland question, but it, it relates to Garland. Um, just from your time, you know, being with an NBA team, I've always been curious about this. How much can like a really good workout, you know, influence how a team looks at a certain prospect? Because I know last year with the Knicks, it was like, uh, Kevin Knox apparently whooped Miles Bridges in this one workout. And that was apparently the thing that like swung them to be like, Oh, Kevin Knox is our dude. And like, is that something that, you know, it, as it pertains to Garland this year, like, is he really going to have to like bust his ass in these workouts and like make sure that teams look at him, you know, maybe differently than just that small sample size of games. Or do you think that he already kind of, even just with that small sample size and people just having, whatever info they have on him regardless that, you know, nothing's really going to affect his draft stock. I mean, if he really shoots the ball well in workouts, it only takes one team. The Knicks could even fall in love at number three. That wouldn't surprise me. We've seen that happen. It's mostly shooting that this happens in. And most of the time it's justified, frankly. Like Carl Town shot the hell out of the ball in the workout. He was already probably going to be the number one pick. That just, you know, confirmed it. Damian Lillard is probably the best example of this out of Weber State. He wasn't like a lock to go where he did in the draft, number six. Like that was a, a vault last second, and he had one of the best shooting workouts we've ever seen. Or I wasn't there, but <laughs> allegedly the people have ever seen. So can Garland do that? Yeah, I think that he can absolutely come into a workout and just shoot the hell out of the ball. But I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to do to really answer the questions about him, which are mostly in a five-on-five game, how does he read the floor as a point guard? And he's not going to be able to answer that in the workout. Now, he's smart. He's got great pedigree. He's, he's great intangibles, apparently a great kid. He came into this year, ESPN, I think, had him eight. 
on their big board. So again, we're dealing with someone who execs are comfortable with. I watched him play at Hoop Summit. Um, he was at McDonald's, all of that stuff. So he, he's well known, but the issues with his game aren't going to be sussed out in a workout. It just comes down to, can he really just shoot the living hell out of the basketball? If he does that, then I think he, there's no way he falls probably anywhere farther down than six. We'll be right back with Cole Zwicker of the Stepian talking some NBA draft talk with you guys. But first, just wanted to remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by Grip6 Belts, where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms and wives. And maybe grandmas? I don't know. Check out their women's collection. See what fits your fancy. The Grip6 Belts are ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip6 has a special offer for you guys today as well at grip6.com slash lock. That's G-R-I-P, the number six, dot com slash L-O-C-K-E. Check it. Um, we, we, I, I was going to leave it to Alex uh, to talk about him, but uh, because he's in love with him, and I, I, I do like him. But uh, Brandon Clark, um, someone that you also like a whole lot, Cole, uh, what do you – what do you think about his jump shot? Because to me, I mean, that that's sort of like the swing still with him, obviously. And, and you you talk about him as sort of an ideal fit next to a Carl Towns. Uh, I'm not technically allowed to say this name on the podcast, but Kristaps Porzingis type of guy who <laughs> sort of compensate by uh, operating outside and letting Clark operate inside. But do do you think he's a guy who could be a four in the NBA, or if is his like just insane defense going to have to translate um, in in terms of rim protection, despite um, his measurements not really being ideal? I think he's going to have to be the four just because yeah. no NBA team is going to play him and start him at the five. Like he could be a backup five in like a, a small ball five, but there's no NBA team that's going to play him at the five full time. It's just never going to happen. It was never going to happen originally. So I do think that measurement stuff, it's a little bit overrated just because I, I get it in a sense. If you haven't watched him play, I would look at his measurables. I would look at his length. I would look at his standing reach, which are both like, first percentile historically for power forwards even. So I would look at that and say, you know, what the hell? Why does everybody like this guy? You know, he's six eight, six eight and a half, wingspan, eight, six standing reach. That's that's like shooting guard numbers or shooting guard measurements. <laughs> but you watch him play in Gonzaga and this guy I mean for me pretty easily he was the second best player in college basketball this year by like a wide margin. He was he's incredibly good. Like he's explosive. He's a world class athlete. We're talking about his combine testing as far as his standing vert, his maximum vert. Standing vert I think was thirty four inches. Maximum vert was forty one for a six eight guy who can who had like a ninety fifth percentile lane agility drill for fours like in the history of the combine dating back to 2000 or something like this guy, you see it all on tape though. That's even more impressive on tape. Cause you add the anticipation, you add the timing as a rim protector. He's everywhere on defense, elite level movement skills. Um, very rigid kind of, he, he's not the most fluid athlete. Like he's not like a Siakam. He gets that comparison a little bit. Siakam's more based on length and like weird agility and like stride length. Clark's like very, He's kind of rigid, but he's just so freaking explosive and fast, and he's so quick to react. Like, he's got – he's, like, to me, he's kind of like 6'8 version of Zaire Smith, like that kind of athlete. He's so quick off the floor, one of the best off the floor I've seen for, for leapers. So you really just have to watch him and say, this is what he can do on a floor. Like he can protect the rim from the weak side. Like, I was watching tape last night. He, like, rotated across the key and blocked Zion Williamson at the apex of Zion Williamson's uh, dunk. Attempt. I think it was a layup attempt. And then he blocked earlier, or might have been later in the year. I don't know if you guys are familiar with E. Pons on Tennessee. 
who's one of the most explosive leapers in all college basketball. Not really a real prospect yet, but one of the best dunkers for sure. And Brandon Clark blocked his shot at the or, or blocked his dunker type at the apex of it. It was probably the best play of the college season. You'll probably see it all over Twitter if you search for it. One of the most impressive plays you'll see. So if you just see how his athleticism translates functionally to the floor, that's what I care about. Like, I don't care if a guy can run and jump 40 inches if he can't apply it to the floor. And that's the thing about Brandon Clark is everything you're seeing, like the athletic testing, all of that stuff is backed up by instincts. Like you guys said, it's about the jump shot if you're talking about high-level ceiling. The guy has incredible touch, though. And I've, I've written about this at the site. And he has he can score the ball. Like, he, he can score in the intermediate area. It's not like Jordan Bell. That's another popular comparison he gets. Jordan Bell can't really score. Yeah, it's either a dunk or a pass. He can't shoot, and he can't finish in the intermediate area. Like, Clark is one of the best finishers we've seen since, I think, 2001, and they're not all dunks. Like, he finishes so many runners. I think the last time I checked, he had, like, over 100 runners in his college career, and he shoots an incredible percentage on them. So I think you have to look at the subtle detail with him. It's not just about, you know, the lack of wingspan or the lack of height or the position. It's just he's really good at basketball, and I think that's going to translate. If he can shoot a catch-and-shoot three – We'll kind of see how that goes. But I, I still think there's safety. And that's why I like him with a guy like Carl Towns, because you get that safety. You, ha- you have a big who can shoot the ball, so you allow him to kind of work himself in. And he goes to a team, and he's like the straight backup five, playing next to another five who's not a floor spacer. Then it gets a little tight. Then you get a Utah Jazz situation where you have like Gobert and Derek Favors. And Favors isn't a credible enough shooter. So there are situations that he's not going to be good in. That's why I like him as a dependent player. But I think if you can really optimize him, I think he can be the second most valuable player in this class. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I definitely feel you as far as I, – I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for how smooth he is around the rim because I, I found that, you know, there were a lot of situations where I watched him where I was like, wow, it's – it, like, I wasn't overly familiar with him going into this year, and then I watched him a few times, and I was like, wow, he's, like, like he's got some pretty good footwork right around the, the hoop and stuff, and it's it's pretty good to see. Um, I This is my favorite question as it pertains to Clark, though. Uh, not to not to drag up for too long. I really don't think – unfortunately, I don't think it's super, super <laughs> realistic, barring a, a trade-down, you know, discussion that the, the Knicks would end up even really considering him. Uh, it, you know, for nothing else, the, the reason you just mentioned that, you know, he probably wouldn't be a great fit with Mitchell Robinson at this juncture unless one of them could develop a jump shot. Uh, but I'm just curious if, if Clark was 19 years old and coming off his freshman season and he had just done what he just did, do you think there's any question that he would be going number two in this draft? I think there'd still be a question just because of the wingspan measurement, but top five, I would lock that in because then you start getting all the models involved with the analytics. Like some of the models aren't high in him just because of his age. Like his production is insane. It's mm-hmm. like historically good. So if you had him at 19, I think you probably see him more likely to end up in the top five somewhere. But uh, as it is now, I think his range probably starts at 10 and I've heard it can go as far down as maybe like 22, 23. So, it's not going to be the same as what it would would be, as you noted, if he was a younger player. All right, Cole, uh, we're, we're going to send you out on a couple of questions on what the Knicks could potentially do at 55, uh, re- really, really testing uh, uh, how deep you are into, into scouting this draft. Um, I feel I feel dirty even asking about this guy because I, I, I literally I feel like I'm <laughs> stealing like Alex's money right now because Alex is just absolutely in love with him. But uh, Taco Fall, uh, he worked out for the Knicks. They scouted him this year. Uh, do, you, do you see him as, as more of a novelty or, I mean, a guy who could contribute um, in the NBA in, like, the same vein as, um, and then I'm not going to say his last name, as, as a Boban um, and someone who could come in against, like, the right 
type of competition and really be productive for small stretches? And I don't think he's necessarily skilled as Boban, but do you think a, a little bit in that mold maybe, or, or what are your thoughts on him? That's definitely the mold. Uh, ideally, you're running his own defense <laughs> if you draft yeah. him, because I don't think he's going to play in space. Like he, he had a really good combine because he dominated players that weren't very good, frankly. And he's enormous. His physical, I, I wasn't there in person, but you can see even on the screen, he's en- enormous. Like his physical tools and his length, I've heard in person is just outlandish. So of course that's going to take executives a back in that setting. So I'm not reading too much into that. I, I do think, again, if he's like a pure middle of the defense, like 2-9 guy where he gets out of the key, gets back in, and you stand him there, and you really just play his own defense at times, like I think that he can survive in that setting because nobody's going to want to try to finish over this guy. But otherwise, like he can't play in space at all. Like Jalen Noel, for example, um, shooting guard out of Washington, gave him this wicked hesitation dribble at the combine and just absolutely erased him. Like in like a, a little bit of a pseudo drop. Like if you get really athletic guys that do that, he's not gonna be able to play in space. So it's a similar problem to Boban. I don't know, like you guys noted, I'm not sure if he's quite as skilled as Boban. So that's a hold up. And I I don't know. Like what's the upside to me? It's like I know it's the 55th pick, and we'll kind of get to some of these other guys. But this is actually a class I like the depth in in that range. And there are probably like 10 guys I'd rather have. Oh, I'm so disappointed now. <laughs> I love Taco, man. I have no justification. I'm just, I freaking love I, I start I started watching him play when he was, like, a freshman, and I just, I don't know. I just like rooting for the kid, I think, because, like, among normal people, I'm a tall person, so I just feel like those tall people, <laughs> like, that tall person connection, I guess, but um, I, I'll move on, though. Another guy that the Knicks worked out this week that we talked about on our last show, uh, Fletcher McGee who's, you know, <laughs> the most unbasketball basketball name I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Um, he sounds like he should be doing tractor pull or something. Uh, but so he also worked out for the Knicks. He he set the NCAA record for threes this year at Wofford. Uh, do you think that he, other, you know, the shooting you think will probably translate, like his release is pretty clean and all that, but – does he have enough in the bag otherwise to make noise in the NBA, do you think? Or do you think that, you know, maybe just in today's NBA, just being an elite shooter is enough to carve out a role for yourself? I don't think he has enough else as far as athleticism. Like, if you switch on him, I'm not sure how he gets to his shot. You have to worry about him because he's one of these rare, and he's a very, very rare shooter. It's not, like, just a good shooter. Like, the way he shoots is, like, the most Redick-esque we've seen come out of the draft in a while. As far as, like, a guy who can really turn in midair when he's squaring up. Like, he doesn't even have to, like, fully turn his body. He's already turning on the catch coming off these floppy sets. We just never see guys who can do that midair turn like that. It's very rare. But, again, does he have the speed to really separate from NBA athletes? What if you switch that action? He can't do anything. Like, you have to be cognizant of him, and he's going to have, like, the volume and the respect and the gravity. So, in theory, there's value, but he's not going to be able to defend anybody, and he doesn't have that kind of size. And if he can't get his shot off at volume, even if he does, like, you're looking at, like, a guy who's, like, a hyper poor man's Reddick, because Reddick's a better athlete. It's it's tough. It's just one of those guys where he's going to play professional basketball 100%. Like, somewhere he's going to be an impactful player, but I just don't think he has enough athleticism to translate that game. Uh, I'm cold just um, as, as an amateur draft Nick, uh, self-appointed, and, and just someone who, 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 <laughs> loves, who loves the second round. Like, I get so into the second round because I, I think every single year there's just, like, five or six dudes who I watched in college and I just liked the way they played, and I'm just irrationally high on them, and, like, 99% of the time, 
they never end up being relevant every once in a while you get your Draymond Green and you're like oh I love that guy like I, I knew he was going to be great and it's like it's like 20 other people were like yeah like we all we all thought he was going to be good but there's there's like 20 of those guys every year so like you you just it's just one of those guys that you like anyways it's a very long-winded way of saying is there, is there anyone else at around the 55th pick that you're just like irrationally in love with and like you're just thinking like you know he's going to go at the end of the second round and, and he's he's going to be in the NBA for like eight years the guy who jumps off the page the most for me that I think will actually be there is Cody Martin from Nevada. Someone who I was not super high on coming into the combine, and this is rare, but if you watch his combine tape, his five on five play, like he was the best player on the floor for most of that stint. And he's, we knew that he could dribble and pass. Like he ran point guard at Nevada. You know, it was a six six wing. That's usually a good sign when guys are making reads. Cr- incredibly smart player, but athletically, he really looked great as far as his strength level, absorbing contact and space as a defensive player. He was quick. He was keeping up with basically everybody on the floor, athleticism-wise. And it comes down to the shot. I mean, that's really all it is for him. He's very, very cerebral. He's one of the smartest players in the class, in my opinion. And we're looking at a guy who can potentially dribble, pass, and shoot, play defense, make good decisions. Like, that is not usually what you find at pick 55. So if he can hit a spot three, I think he's really valuable. Uh, he airballed... A really brutal three at the combine. I think that's really going to knock him down for executives, just that shot, frankly. But he's shown enough to kind of bet on his shooting, especially at that range. Like, at 55, it's a no-brainer. So he even hit some pull-ups in that game, too. Like, he can create space off the bounce. I just think he's a really smart player, a versatile kind of Swiss Army knife guy. And I don't think he's going to go higher than that. I think he might go undrafted. And he's just a guy, talent-wise, where if he shoots, he's probably a top-20 player in the class. Like, that's where we're at. Are there any other guys that kind of stand out to you? I I don't know. Like, I could list a couple names that I've been curious about, like uh, Aubrey Dawkins, who is a, a teammate of uh, Taco, but, you know, seems kind of NBA-ready. Uh, I like Iggy uh, Brasdakis from Michigan, but I don't know if he's going to make it that far. Uh, is there anybody else that kind of is on your radar if there was, like, one other guy? Yeah, I'll just run through three guys really quickly, but cool. I don't think they're going to make it this far. But Daquan Jeffries, all of these guys played at the combine, getting a second shot, basically. Daquan Jeffries played at Tulsa, so not very well known, but 6'5", 7-foot wingspan, is super physical. Like He's he's the most P.J. Tucker-esque player in this class. I'm not saying he's him, but he's like the most guy who will mix it up. He, he plays basketball like he's a football player, and he does have shooting input. Like He shot the ball well off the catch. He played really well at Portsmouth. Athletic attack and closeouts can come off a curl, get to the rim. I don't know how great his lateral agility is. We can't get his athletic testing because um, it was at the G League Combine, and they haven't released that information. So that would just kind of confirm what you're seeing on tape a little bit with his lack of lateral athleticism. But I like how physical he is. He plays bigger than his size. I think he probably goes higher, but he could be there at 55. And then quickly two more guys that also I think are going to be gone. Terrence Davis, you know, old Miss senior We've been tracking him for a long time. We knew about his athleticism. One of the most dynamic transition players in this class. Incredibly fast with the ball. Great kid. I think he had like the six biggest hands of anybody at the combine somehow for a guard that's 6'4". So he can shoot. He can make okay decisions. He got smarter his senior year under new coaching. I, I think he's definitely an NBA athlete. He has first-round athleticism, and he has some skill. It's just how well do those combo guard kind of score types translate if they're not high-level shooters. But worth a look. Charles Matthews is a guy a lot of people know, uh, one of the best perimeter defenders in the draft out of Michigan, has the best perimeter footwork, probably outside of or right alongside with DeAndre Hunter. Not as strong, but a little bit more light of foot. 
incredible defensive prospect, has underrated footwork as a self-creator. Decent handle, not great. Um, the issue with Charles Matthews is the shooting, and there's not really much to bet on. Like, his form doesn't look bad, but it's never gone in. And so it kind of seems like it's a touch issue. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. But absolutely, based on his defense alone, I think he should be more of a top 35 guy rather than 55 I'll give, I'll give you one more guy that I think is going to be here. <laughs> he might go undrafted. Terrence Mann out of Florida State, uh, six 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 seven wing, tested a lot better at the combine than a lot of people expected. Kind of similar to Cody Martin in some ways. Not as good, in my opinion, but a guy who can dribble and make great decisions with the ball. Very, very underrated drive and kick passer. Um, can be that kind of ball mover secondarily. He's another one of those jump shot guys, though. There's no shooting off motion. He can maybe hit a corner three right now, but I'm not sure if he can hit above the break three. Didn't take a lot of threes in college. Great character. I think, and I've heard that he's going to get vaulted up the board a little bit um, by some sources, and then other sources say he's going to go undrafted. But some guys are like, he's going to have a Davon Reed kind of surge pre-draft. And I think Davon went 34th or something. So it wouldn't surprise me if he went before, but he's another guy where, similar to Cody Martin, I, I would just jump on the chance to draft him at 55. I think if he shoots, he's a rotation player in the NBA. Oh, that's uh, son's great, Davon Reed, to you. Uh, we we so appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, and taking this time with us. You, you're incredibly generous with it, and uh, I, I feel like I, I genuinely feel like I learned a lot about the draft. So it, it was great for me. Um, I just wanted to know um, what do you, what do you guys have coming up at the Steppy, and and uh, what, what should people look out for? Um, I just released a 45 minute piece today on. Uh, the lead guard class, like the guard class, pull-up shooting, versatility, functionality, and gravity. So we talked about Darius Garland. You also find Kobe White in there, Ja Morant, Shamori Pons, Carson Edwards. Uh, those guys, Justin Wright Foreman, lesser-known guy, um, but just basically the six best shot makers, I think, from the guard position in this class. Some of them, I, I doubt any of them will far, fall as far as 55, maybe Justin Wright Foreman. But uh, that might be something worth looking into. We have new pieces up pretty much every day at the Stepien. So we cover international. We cover high school at times. But mostly right now, of course, it's kind of like a jam-packed session for getting scouting reports out. And probably have a new piece every day. So uh, check that out. And where can they find you on Twitter as well? A very creative at Coles Wicker. So uh, if you want to follow (laughs) us there. And then at the Stepien, that's just at the Stepien. So uh, both those sources. All right, cool. Cole, thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate this. Love getting all of the draft insight. We really think you uh, brought a, an interesting look at things today and a different sort of perspective for us. So we're very grateful for that. And thank you so much for giving us your time. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. All right, and that is all for our discussion with Cole Zwicker of the Stepien. Of course, be sure to check out all their work there. As Cole said, follow him at Cole's Wicker on Twitter. Follow the Stepian at the Stepian on Twitter. Uh, two great accounts to follow. Cole himself, very insightful. But all the guys that write over there are really good, really filling a, a good void on the basketball internet, uh, making sure that you know everybody's informed about these prospects in a very scouty sort of way, uh, which is you know something that was missing prior. So. We're very thankful to Cole for coming on and, you know, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Of course, today's episode was brought to you by Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip Six Belts. And we hope that you guys are listening to us on the Himalaya Podcast app. Uh, that's all for today, though. We don't have too much more to add because Cole was so damn thorough. So until next time, 
We'll catch you guys later. Peace out.